Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. Today we have a very talented CEO CEO with us. His name is Tony Tai. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Of course. Tony, tell us about yourself. Where'd you grow up and how did you develop this entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, so I grew up mostly in Southern California. I grew up in a little city called Garden Grove, home of really good Vietnamese food. And actually, at the time, Korean barbecue. And I think our claim to fame was we have Steve Martin was our was our alma mater from Garden Grove High School. So it's a, it's a pretty small, small, small city, but pretty fun growing up. But yeah, grew up in SoCal, had your typical kind of Asian childhood. But I think what uh, I've talked about this a little bit before and what people kind of don't believe me when I say it, but I was not a very good student. When I was a kid, I was pretty lazy when it came to schoolwork. So that's, that's kind of a, an oddity. And I kind of lucked my way into getting into schools and going to law school. So it's a, it's a little bit odd, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. What, what else, what else can I talk about when it comes to my childhood? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, I think you got, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. I mean, obviously it does take a little studying, a little hard work to get to the schools that you got to and to be the position that you got in. Right. And I just want to highlight that every single garden grow person I met has a lot of swagger for some odd reason. Oh I yeah. No, what, I forgot. I didn't mention that. <laughs> I, I don't know what they do in a small city, but everyone seems overly confident in which I <laughs> Well, now, now you've met the first guy who's that. Well, maybe, maybe I am overly confident actually. Not at <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I mean, it's great hearing about your childhood and like, you know, I actually saw a post on Instagram today and the post is like, this kid was like, I think I saw a post about this kid. He was like, yeah, I didn't really care about high school, whatever. But now I run like a multi-million dollar business, right? And I don't know why your story and that story sort of correlate with each other. I'm like, wow, it's a lot, of, a lot of commonality. So I want to ask you, like, what, what made you want to become an entrepreneur? Was it something that you always thought about a lot growing up? Was it something that your teachers told you or you woke up one day, you saw a movie and you're like, I want to become an entrepreneur? I think, I mean, entrepreneur is like a really large, like, like classification. I think, you know, if we were to break it down, like working at a law firm, being a lawyer, you're an entrepreneur naturally, like that you're kind of, you're selling yourself that that's it, right? You're selling yourself, you're selling your legal services. It doesn't really matter what law firm you're at. Like if you're not a good lawyer and not a good service provider, you're not going to get a ton of work, whether it's internal or external. So um, for me, entrepreneurship is just the understanding of the underlying business that you're kind of performing and then figuring out how to connect with the end client or customer. 
And so for me, it was always like, I never thought about it like entrepreneurship. I always thought like how, what's the most efficient way of solving the problem, right? And if the problem exists, you know, at the customer level, then I'll build something to help solve the the, the pain points at the customer level. But if it's, you know, if it was internal for a large corporation that I'd be willing to do that as well. It just so happens from, you know, the stuff that I'm passionate about going direct to the end user is, is the more likely and more efficient route. And so that's kind of what opened up our entrepreneurship to me is it's kind of an efficiency play. And I, I think the other part of it is like, people think that like entrepreneurship entails like a ton of risk and it does, don't get me wrong, right? Like if you run your own business, you're, you're selling yourself, there's always the risk that somebody won't buy. And so people always have that fear. That's that kind of fear of rejection and not being good enough. But again, like I'm, I'm a little bit odd and, and I don't think of it that way. I think of it as like just calculated risk, like everything you do. You take a job with a business, there's a risk that they go under or they lay you off or they fire you, all that stuff. That's all calculated. And so when you start your own business and you become that entrepreneur, like there's an inherent risk in that as well, but you're just making those calculations to figure out, is it worth it to me? And, you know, does it make sense? And for us at, at my company, like it, it, it made sense for everybody involved. I like that. I mean, I like that story a lot. I mean, you're right. I mean, entrepreneurship, yes, it is a risky feel. It's a lot of uncertainty every day. You don't wake up bored, right? That's a fact. There's probably more bad days and good days, to be honest. But as you said, right, depending on the business that you're in, it can always be very calculated. You always kind of like plan your risk and be more risk averse moving forward. So my question for you, it's like, I know, I mean, looking at your bio, looking at your LinkedIn and everything, I know that you're experienced in software engineer, right? And when I look at you, that's like an alternate, alternate, I don't know, alternate universe that I could have been in. I, I used to be working. I used to work as a software engineer for about 10 years. I actually studied for my law, my LSAT stuff, trying to get to law school as well. It's funny because I didn't finish law school and my corporate lawyer right now is someone I took LSAT classes with. Just ironic as hell, right? Awesome. So I want to ask you like, what, walk me through your, let's say after college, right? Walk me through your, your thought process and journey. Like what was your first job like? What was your second job like? What was your biggest takeaway from these jobs? Because what I learned about talking to entrepreneurs on this podcast is that no matter what stage you're in, you always draw upon every single experience you ever had in your life to help you make decisions as an entrepreneur. I want to hear about that part too. Yeah, no, I mean that's a that's a great that's a great perspective to take and 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 yet yeah, take away from that. So I, I mean, not to bring it back to my childhood, but it does frame it up a little bit. So let me I, I gotta be clear on this, right? Like, not successful at high school not successful at middle school. I just, I refuse to do homework, whatever. I, if I could do it over again, would I do it that way? No, I wouldn't. I would have just played the game, followed the rules, nabbed the high score so I could get into college a lot easier. But part of that was my dad lost his job, I think just as I was, just the year before I was graduating high school. And so I had to take a quote unquote gap year to make ends meet. So it wasn't a choice, if I'm being honest with you, right? Like I had to make ends meet. And for the family. And so I went off and tried to get a job. I tried to get a job everywhere, man. I applied to Taco Bell. I applied to Home Depot. I got laughed at at Home Depot because I was, I mean, I'm pretty small. I was a small. You know, and, and what kid. year was this, by the way? So we have a reference. 07, 08, okay. right? Yeah. Just, just around that recession, you know, the, the, the first recession. I mean, some of them hired, but they weren't hiring me. Right. And I had a good friend say like, Hey, um, my dad needs, a website made like, can you do that? And I said, sure. Like, 
I, I, I tinker with software. So I built that website and he was so happy with it that he referred more business to me from other folks. And that kind of just spiraled. And then I started doing a lot more tech development and, and software development. And the turning point for me going from entrepreneur building this business, paying for you know a mortgage to going deciding I should go to school was I got yelled at by a client because you know my, my client one of my clients is really happy with me and he said hey you know where'd you graduate from and I said oh I you know, haven't gotten to school and he told me I was stupid <laughs> and he's like this whole wonderkin thing you've got going on like that's not going to last forever you need to apply to school you need to get in and you need to go right it's for peer signaling and so I did that and to pay for both school family stuff. Uh, I worked full-time while I was in undergrad and my primary focus, cause it was easier and the jobs were longer were enterprise software development, basically stuff that other engineers found really, really boring. I would just do because it paid the most. So that was kind of my first introduction to big business and building systems for them. You were in it for, you know, sounds like 10 years. I did this process called ETL which I'm sure you're familiar with, right? Extract, transform, load processes. And I mean, we want to talk about boring stuff. Like, man, that is the most boring of boring stuff that you could possibly work on, but it paid the bills. And I got a lot of experience, not only working in software engineering, but also interfacing with clients. And when I was doing these deals, I would have to hire lawyers because I didn't know what a contract looked like. Such foreign concepts to me. So I hired these these lawyers to, to... draft and negotiate deals for me. And I just got so frustrated having to deal with them. And so, I mean, that's one of the kind of factors that led me to think, hey, you know what, maybe I just go to law school and do this better and not have to pay these, you know, I'll censor myself, these folks so much money when they clearly don't understand what the heck I'm doing. And so that, that was one aspect of it. And the other, you know, many other aspects, but since I was such a failure my entire life, like doing one thing nice for my mom and aunt who, who raised me, basically, you know, I, I'd, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say like, yeah, that was a major motivators. You know what? I've, I've give, I've given you so much grief. I will go get the JD. It'll make your life, you know, you can brag to your friends about it, whatever it is, but I, you know, and I'll use it for my own business. So that's, that's what led me to, to law school. I just wasn't as smart as you and didn't, didn't pull the ripcord. <laughs> so I just went through it. I wouldn't say that. I th- I think the common theme in this podcast so far is how humble you are. I feel like you're not giving yourself enough credit, right? You know, so you got to I, USC law school, man. It's hard to get into that school. So congrats on that. I just, and thank you for that. No, I, I, I just, I just met with USC today. It is just oh, kind wow. of, like, I was meeting with Chloe Reed there who, who meets with a lot of alumni. And she asked me why I started the business. And I told her out of obligation and she's like, what obligation? I'm like, I feel like I'm such a lucky guy. Like so lucky. I mean, I ran in, I get to talk to you. I ran into Ashley when I was working at Goodwin. I ran to like most of my team working at Goodwin and stuff like that, that I just want, I, like, I want to be able to give back to the community and like building the business was a part of me giving back to the community. But yeah, man, I mean, like I don't, yeah, the one factor that I'm like, like I always tell people is like, uh, yeah, I'll never claim to be the smartest guy in the room. That, that, that'll never be me. I like being in a room with people smarter than me, but I will always be the most hardworking person in the room. And nine times out of 10, that works really well, right? Whatever it is you do, right? Like if studying for the LSAT, for example, right? Like I'm not, there's some people I, I met and would study with and they would get like 
178, 179s near perfect every time, just off the bat. I wasn't that lucky. I had to study. And so, you know, you study and then you, you get there. And so I'm probably a good example of like, what happens when you don't study? This is what happens when you do put in the work and, and, and try to get the points. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's also very inspirational to hear too. Right. I, I mean, I personally feel like this is my point of view too. I never felt like there's no, just there's no such thing as a dumb person. You're just not, you're just not putting enough effort into it or you haven't found your zone of genius yet. Like what motivates you? What, what, what doesn't feel like work to you? Right. Everybody has that zone, but you just have to find it. And some people find it at different stages where that be, like you said, obligation, like try not to disappoint their parents. It's such an Asian thing to hear. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I want to dive deep into like hyperdraft, like talk about hyperdraft. What is, why did you create hyperdraft? I know you mentioned earlier that, you know, you learned most of your business skills working as, a, as an engineer and then going to law school because you're like, hey, what, guess what? I could do it better myself. Right. But then hyperdraft is, is unique because I feel like it combines everything that, that you are, right? An engineer, a lawyer. I just want to hear more about it. Like, what's the origin story behind hyperdraft? Yeah. No, I love that, man. I, I appreciate it too, because it, it is how it feels, right? Like when we start, it, it takes a little bit of distance to be like, yeah, it's kind of random, right? Like, it's kind of random that like this guy who's an engineer on the enterprise side decides to go to law school decide, and then does the law school thing and then works in it and then builds this out. I wish I could say it was like more planned, but you know, some of it's happenstance. After my 1L year, usually you're supposed to apply for what's called like a judicial externship. You got to work for free for a judge. It's probably framed, it should be framed up differently, but that's in my head, that's what it was. And I'm like, that's not going to work. I got to, I got to pay bills. And so I didn't apply to any of that stuff. I applied for law firm jobs and I got a job with a law firm and the law firm needed me to do corporate M&A. And, you know, I'm sure you've got lawyer friends that will tell you, a 1L in law school knows nothing about corporate law, like nothing, zilch, nada. And so it was a steep learning curve. But when I jumped in to your point before, and I, I talk about, I love talking about pattern recognition and pattern learning, pattern-based learning, because it's it's so powerful. All the contracts, I realized at the end of the day, it was actually just software. It's just code, slightly more ambiguous, but it's just code. And so I really enjoyed reading through and drafting code. That's that weird, like obsession, obsessive compulsive aspect of me is like, I loved, I loved every part of it. I loved every word, every character, everything, because it reminded me so much of code. But the problem I discovered was, man, as an engineer, we're so spoiled. We build these tools that like really help streamline stuff, linters, debuggers, stuff like that. But lawyers don't have any of that. We have Microsoft word, right? And that's buggy. And you, know, you you still won't find most lawyers touching Google Docs, right? God forbid that people do use a web app. And so when I went back to, to USC for my second year, I met up with a professor, Michael Chaslow, and he and I were in, he taught USC small business clinic, which I was in. And I would talk to him about this. I'm like, dude, you don't realize how bad this is. And he's like, really? Like, show me. And I'd show him and he's like, oh, I'm sure somebody's built this, right? Because we're lawyers at this point, and so we're very pessimistic about our ability to build a, our, a business around it. So we're very resistant to doing that. So we looked around, couldn't find anything. And so I advised for a few companies, trying to get them to do it. They just never were able to get it there. I got to the point where I was in practice, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this money, and then I'm going to outsource it. I'll 
hire engineers to go do it. And I tried that for a year and blew a few hundred thousand dollars on it. And then realized that there's this huge communication gap between engineering concepts and legal concepts and just getting them to talk to each other. It takes so much time and time in the legal field is money. So like the more time I spend talking about it and not doing it myself is time I'm just wasting. And so ultimately it got to a point where I'm like, I'm practicing from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. and I'm coding from 10 p.m. to 3 or 4 a.m. It's not sustainable. Like we have to make a decision, which is, you know, around the time I, I decided like we're getting traction here. Software is being built and it, it looks good. We already have a few clients in the, in the hopper. My current clients on the law firm side of things want to use the software. So let's, let's kick off and, and do this. So that's kind of the, I know that's rambly. I'm, I'm sorry for that, but I don't rambling. It's fine. Yeah. Hopefully I gave you kind of like a timeline. Like, so this started early, the, the, the kind of ruminations around the idea started in law school. And then I was such a pessimist. <laughs> that's the theme, right? Like I'm such a pessimist and I didn't believe in myself until I got to the point where I didn't, by the way, I didn't give enough credit to an, uh, uh, one of my mentors, Chris Nguyen. He's like a brother to me and he was one of my clients and he helped coach me into being a CEO and, and like got my ass in a year. So I don't know if I can cuss here, but you'll bleep it out. So it's fine. It's fine. I mean, you're just communicating raw emotions and I mean, lots of things to love about that. Right. I think the fact that you thought about it, you saw a gap in the market and most importantly, you took action. Right. A lot. Honestly, I think all of us can go through our day and be like, I wish I had this app. I wish that was done better. I wish this and that those are all business ideas. Right. And the fact that you saw it and you found your unique ability to solve that problem and you took action on it and found traction not a lot of founders can even say that found product market fit right off the bat, right? You found this miracle thing that people always talk about in tech, product market fit, find your find your customers, whatever it is. You find your customers first and you win for it. So hats off to you, man. And again, right? I, I feel very similar to you because I, I am myself a little bit more, a little bit of a pessimistic person, right? I'm always like, ah, oh, like, am Am I the right person for this? <laughs> yeah. I think I think as I mean, I used to think that that's just me, right? But the more founders I talked to on the Asian House Network podcast, which I would talk to like over like 150 founders, that everybody has those thoughts, the doubt, the why me, the oh no, like maybe I'm not good enough mentality, right? I think I, I think that's a very common theme, like imposter syndrome. And you know, you found your traction, you're able to take it to the next level, you found the right mentors. Those are all secret ingredients to success. And the fact that you think that you're not the smartest person in the room is also a superpower, right? When you're not the smartest person in the room, guess what? You take a step back and you listen to people around you. And you're able to incorporate more ideas into your product, which I feel like, you know, it takes a great amount of EQ, emotional intelligence to do something like that, admitting that you're not smart and then finding a way to bring a team together through a culture, through collaboration, through exchange of great ideas. So the next question I have for you is after you found traction, did you go out there and raise venture capital money? How did you kept, keep yourself moving? And when you first raise your, let's say, for example, you first raise your, your first round of funding, what was going through your mind? I know a lot of founders get excited. A lot of founders get scared, but what was going through your mind? That's such a, such a good question, man. And I, 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 I'm going to answer your question for sure, but you, you, you're going to spark something. You can cut this out, but you know, you talked about 
have that imposter syndrome? Am I the right guy to do it? What do you do to overcome that? And, and so before you answer that part, like, what do you think the reason is for having that feeling? Because it seems to be a theme, right? With entrepreneurs and especially in the Asian side. So what, what do you think is kind of the cause and what, what, what helped you get over it? Yeah, for me, I feel like everybody goes through that. It's just a human emotion, right? Whenever you put yourself out there, you always think to yourself, am I the right person for this? Your insecurity shows. Everybody is very insecure in different ways. Everybody has doubts in their self in, their self in different ways. But then the people who are able to acknowledge those feelings and not sweep it under the rug and admit that this might be a part of their strengths and weaknesses, I think imposter syndrome actually helps us reflect more. And when we reflect upon ourselves, upon our everyday work, we're able to reevaluate everything and look at things from a different angle. So I don't necessarily see it as a weak thing. I just think it's very part of human nature to just have those doubts and have those feelings and be able to acknowledge them and don't see them as a sense of weakness. Introspection. I, I like that a lot as a, as a, as a theme for... Yeah, no, I, I love it, man. All right, sorry. I I I played Uno reverse on you there. Back back to the the question of like why did we raise what was my thinking through that process, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. When we started, we again so I'm very conservative when it comes to as Ashley will tell you, I'm very, I'm very conservative when it comes to planning and strategy. And so the thought was we need to have at least 16 months of runway, no matter what. So just me and, you know, two, three other employees must have that runway. I built that up through savings. So that was step one. And so step two is, okay, let's ask, see who who's willing to chip in. Chris Nguyen, my CEO mentor, like one of the first checks in to invest. And then my former bosses, and then people started to try to throw in some cash. So we started with at least a little bit of a pot to kind of work with. That's, so that gave me a lot of confidence. And then the t- around the time we started raising like, Valuations are getting crazy. People are raising money left and right. I was a venture capital attorney. And so like to see the term sheets come in, you're just like, wow, this could be me. I could be raising, you know, $3 million on a $15 million valuation with no product, right? Like at least we had a product, but there are people who were raising with a dream, right? Like a, just, just a pure dream. And then somehow they were able to sell that to the venture capitalists. I had a really tough time selling to venture capitalists which is fascinating to me because I'm sitting here thinking like, wait, hold up. I'm your lawyer. I'm telling you this is a problem. And you're like, nah. So, you know, there are two risks when a investor evaluates your business, right? Product market fit is what you were talking about. And then there's execution risk, right? So if there's product market fit, that's great. And then the next step is, can this team actually execute? So in my brain, I jumped the gun and I jumped to the conclusion of like, well, obviously, (laughs) this is where hubris comes in, right? You think I'm humble, but this is where the hubris came in. I was like, obviously product market fit, it stands. I've proven it. I am the target market, duh. So I just have execution risk to, to, to prove up. And so when I started pitching, I did a terrible job. I didn't even explain the problem to, to investors. I'd just be like, well, clearly there's a problem. Here's my solution. And this is why, you know, you need to accept it. And I just learned over time, like investors like, hold up, like you need Tell me, show me that this is a problem first, and then 
we'll get to the execution, like whether or not I could believe that you do it. And so, you know, we, I had to retool a little bit, prove that there was a problem. And now like, it's very obvious that legal tooling is, is lacking. And so, you know, a little bit of industry education helped. And then I got to the execution risk, you know, kind of support argument part of the, 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 the pitch. And I remember I, I, I distinctly remember this one investor who used to be a software engineer. He grilled me on engineering and computer science concepts. And at the end, he apologized. He said, I simply did not believe that someone who had a decent engineering background could, could go to law school. Like it made zero sense to me. And so I'm sorry for that, but like, I had to grill you on it. I'm like, okay, great. And he's like, but I'm still not going to invest because like legal tech isn't, isn't big enough for me. I'm like, well, then why waste my time? So my, like I was pretty, I was pretty knocked down and depressed the first go around when we tried to raise money. And then we realized, you know, who gives us money? So like, then I was like, oh, we'll just, we'll just get customers. And so, yeah, we started getting more customers. That was great. That was starting to pay the bills. And then the second wave of investors now, this time, not me going out, but them coming to us. Cause they're like, Hey, heard about you guys. Would you like to pitch to us? And then I got sucked in by the siren song yet again, wasted some time doing that. And then I realized, you know what? I don't even want to do it this way. The way that I want to solve the problem is the way that our team wants to solve the problem, which is value proposition first. And then we'll worry about the selling later. Like the difference between us and our competitors is pretty much the team that builds the product, right? Is the same team that had the problem in the first place. And that's a unique situation to be in. And so you cut out a lot of the, what I call like internal thrashing that happens. Cause normally you'd have to, you know, your end user talk to a product owner, product designer, product manager, whatever you want to call it. That person would talk to a PM and a UI UX designer and an eng engineering person. So that's like five, six layers of discussion that need to happen. For us, we get an email from a client that says, hey man, it would be great if I didn't have to send signatures out by myself and you guys just automate all that for me. I'm like, all right, cool. Give me two weeks. And then we get it done and then they're done and they're happy, right? Like that's what it takes. So for us, it turned out that not getting funding was a competitive advantage because what it helped us do is it helped us really focus on what mattered, which is making money, getting clients and listening to the clients. That's how you get the clients and that's how you make the money. And so it was very logical for us. But if we had gotten the cash, I'll be honest with you, I don't think we would be where we are today. I think we'd be a little bit further behind because cash gives you too much flexibility and it gives you too, if you have too much flexibility, then you're not as focused. You're kind of just chasing multiple shiny objects as opposed to one concrete target. I like the fact that you put life in the hard mode. You know, some people like the cushion. Some people like 16 months of runway or more. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I love it. We're, I, 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 I like it too. But you know what's even better is like being in a cash flow positive mode where what, 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 what is the, some of the people call it? default alive or something like that default mode alive. i forgot what it, the phrase is but like basically you know unless we screw something up we're, we're perfectly fine that's a that's a really exciting position to be in because we don't have to say yes to everything we can say no to stuff and yeah. that's that's really empowering yeah that's awesome to hear right i think 
I think most businesses, most businesses should be built that way, right? We're seeing, I don't know, during the crypto craze of like people raising $25 million seed round or a round or something like that. You're like, wow, these evaluations are through the roof, <laughs> you know? But guess what's happening right now? We're seeing a crypto wins here. We're seeing a lot of startups doing lower in their evaluation, actually. Why? Because they're not getting enough customers. They're not making enough revenue. And I feel like the model that you built although it does take longer to scale up and grow, it's highly more sustainable. You know, you keep a lot more equity to the company. Eventually when you get acquired or go IPO or public, whatever it is, like you own a lot more of the company, right? And you're a lot more resistant to like the bull market and the bear market and all these things because at the end of the day, your product is very focused on your customer and you do a darn good job. They're going to keep coming back to you. So hats off to you, man. That's a, that's an amazing story to hear. Nah, man, I appreciate it. And I, 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 yeah, I wish, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're doing it the way that we're doing it is like, we, we hope that it's a good signal signal to other people that you can do this. Like, don't listen to, just don't listen to the hype all the time. It's always good to take, uh, I asked, so there are rules, right? And I've said this before, like, you shouldn't ask a person, it was the phrase, don't ask gift horse in the mouth right? Like when I ask women, like, why do you date me? This seems like a bad idea for you. Like, don't do that. And then I, I would ask investors, like, why'd you, why'd you put in money? I'm just curious, right? Like, what about me? And they're just like, what one investor said something that kind of hit hard. He's like, you're really good at listening to advice and then knowing when not to take it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, interesting. Right. And that, that's the thing is like, you should have your ears open. You should listen. You should listen critically, listen to the perspective. I hate taking, I hate listening to critique. It hurts. I'm human. I'm not weird. Like <laughs> I'm human too, but like, there's always a grain of truth in it. And if you can do that, now you're cooking with fire, right? Cause then you see the world as it is and not as it should be. And, and that's, that, that's, that's a powerful position to be in. Yeah, definitely, man. Being able to incorporate different ideas into the vision without changing the vision is a really important skill as a founder, right? Especially a first-time founder where a lot of times you wake up and you're doing things that, that isn't done before. There's no blueprint for it. You can't Google for it. You can't look on Wikipedia for it. A lot of it is trusting your gut instinct, right? And sometimes you know what, what you need to do, you're, but you're scared of it. So you ask for advice and I think the most detrimental part is taking advice that skews you away from what your original intention is. I think it's a really good skill to have. So great job, Tony. Appreciate it, man. I mean, the hats off to you, man. Like you're doing the same thing on, on the Asian hustle network. And <laughs> it's, it is, I was talking to Maggie before, like it, it's impressive what you guys have, have been able to to build out from scratch. That's really, not really appreciate that. It hasn't been easy, but I think, Every single founder goes through a similar experience. Whatever we're doing is never easy, right? But we have a lot of conviction and purpose of what we're working on, which changes the world. And I guess the next part of the podcast is I want to focus on Tony himself. Tony away from the business. Tony, how do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of your mental health? How do you, whenever you have a bad day as a founder, what do you do to like overcome those bad days? Do you take a walk? Do you, you go out with friends? Do you talk to someone? Do you have a therapist? I want to hear about like, you know, how you overcome your struggles. Yeah. I think for me, for a lot of people, like exercises is, is, is like one way they use to cope. I, 
for me at this point, like I'm trying to treat it more like brushing my teeth. So it, it doesn't have the same therapeutic effect. Cause like, I'm already brushing my teeth, like brushing my teeth anymore is not going to help. So there are two things that I do. Maybe it's a little bit, a little bit childish, but I play video games. I play a lot of video games. Not a lot. I, I play video games when I'm super stressed out and people ask me like, why am I into it? The nice thing about video games is like, I'm so immersed and I'm such an intense person that like, I always put a hundred percent into whatever it is I'm doing. So for me, playing video games, like I'm, I'm in it, I'm yelling. It's like, I'm in it, but it's just a complete distraction lets me kind of breathe. And so, you know, it's, it seems a little bit counterintuitive, like I'll do that and then I'll meditate. And then the other thing I've been doing a lot more of is I've been coaching my little brother to play golf. And that's been really fun for me. Like I like teaching and I like coaching and uh, seeing him kind of pick it up because I was such a, a fanatic around golf is really rewarding. So that's, that's been really nice is to be able to spend some time with family and and just, you know, hang out. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that way of dealing with stress, right? I think that, especially as Asian Americans or Asian entrepreneurs, there's always that, that thrill to be a part of the hustle culture. I don't get stressed. I work a hundred hours a week. You know, I don't get stressed. I don't, I don't, I just stay in the office all day. You know, I hate that. I think that with your mentality and, the, and your answer, it's like, it's more well-balanced, right? That's what I like to hear. Right, go out there, go work out, go play golf, go teach, go spend time, go do things you like to do. You know, entrepreneurship is all about sitting in your office, stressing about all day, looking at business plans and thinking about how to grow the business. That doesn't help, right? I think rest is equally as important to running a business than to actually run the business, right? You need a balance. I would say this all the time. This sounds extreme, but I would say this all the time, right? I would I would have associates come to me and they'd be like, hey man, I got to pull an all-nighter. Like, what's your advice? I'm like, my advice is don't pull the all-nighter, right? Like there's nothing in this world in legal that you need to kill yourself, literally kill yourself for, right? Like you don't need to do that. Second, if you're adamant and you're going to do it anyways, right? I'll give you option B, which is take a four-hour or three-hour nap or two-hour nap. And they're like, well, why would I do that? Like, I'm like, because you hit a point of diminishing returns at one or 2 a.m., and everything that should take 15 minutes now takes an hour. So if you invest the time to take a nap, you will get it out faster. When you get up, pour a cup of coffee, it's just pure, pure numbers, right? You'll get it back out in 15 minutes and you'll have gotten two to three hours of sleep. I know this sounds, Brian, aren't you, aren't you glad that, you know, you don't have to do that? Cause like, Jesus, that, that, that was being a corporate lawyer, man that it's, it's that level of intensity, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think the balance, and by the way, it took me almost 10 years to figure it out. So, you know, it takes time to figure out the balance. I'm, I'm I wasn't good at it to start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Right. And it's funny too, because you're like the fourth founder of this podcast to talk about taking naps and then being more productive afterwards. So it's a proven strategy. Right. To reduce stress and get the rest that you need, but just don't let us screw up your sleeping schedule. <laughs> Productivity is not effort. That's the decoupling that people have to understand, right? Like if you spent five hours doing it the wrong way, right? I I, I get I got this question today. They're like, what is hyperdraft? I'm like, if I was gonna sum up hyperdraft, it's me coming by seeing a bunch of lawyers who, who are gardening, right? They're just using those little trowels with like the three and they're just like trying to, and then I'm just like, use a shovel, right? right? And then you, seeing the way that they change their perspective of like, oh, now I can do this, all their stuff. I'm like, they'll find other things to waste their time on. 
but spending all that effort, you know, with a trowel is not a, like there's shit, there's no, there's no glory in it. Then that's the, that's that hustle thing that I, I like that you just hit on, which is like, dude, I'm not impressed that you killed yourself. I'm feel a little bit sad for you. Right? Like I'm not impressed. Is it a good mode to have just in case? Always it's survival instinct. Great. You don't need to, you don't need to press on that all the time. Cause by the time you turn 45 and like everything hurts and everything aches and you, you know, you're having all these health conditions, you, you know, you're going to regret it. Yeah, everything really hurts now, so it's not pushing no, any further. <laughs> so, Tony, the last part of the podcast, I want to I want to ask you a final question, and that question is: What advice would you give to a struggling high school student right now, academically, about his future in the real world? His he, he or she he or she her future in the world. I heard some great advice recently, which is just perspective, which is that there's no dumb people in this world, right? It's all about finding your genius, right? And it takes time and it takes everybody a little bit different, right? Like the fact that we try to scale it out and you're going to figure it out in 12 years, you know, or going K through 12, everybody grows and, and evolves differently. That's around the same time, but you don't need to feel rushed because you have your whole life to work. <laughs> you have your whole life to work. And, you know, my, my point of encouragement by saying that would be, there is a benefit though, to playing the game and you have to choose, you have to make that decision. Like, does it make sense for me to play that part of the game to make my life a little bit easier? So I have more options or am, do I feel so passionate about what I'm doing that I want to pursue it. If you feel passionate, I'm encouraging people to do it, but don't be like me and be lost, right? Like I was lost. And that was my problem is like, I was lost and also felt like a failure. And it just compounded because I didn't find where my, you know, where I belonged, where I felt like I belonged. And so it just, if I was a little bit more patient and willing to play that game, to get the points and just give myself time by myself time, to, to grow and, and, and figure that out, that, that would have been, my life would have been a little bit easier, but it all works out. I'm on a podcast with Brian from Asian hustle network. Like it don't get better than that. Nah, thank you, man. Appreciate that. I'm in a podcast with Tony Ty, dude, successful hey. CEO, power entrepreneur. <laughs> we'll go out. And I was talking to Maggie about it. You guys are out in Nevada now, Vegas. Yeah. We're out in Vegas now. Something cattle, chubby cattle. Chubby. Yeah, we'll go to Chubby Cattle for sure. One of the best oh. shopping places in Shop Las Vegas. Shop. Love that spot. That that'll that that'll mean I, I've won. I've made it. <laughs> It'll be archery, anyways. It'll be awesome, man. <laughs> so Tony, how can our listeners find out more about you and reach out to you online? Yeah, you can check us out as on, on, on all the you know social networks, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, hyperdraft.ai, or check us out on our website, hyperdraft.ai. Awesome. We'll include all that in the show notes. But Tony, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Brian. It was a pleasure. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.